The Inflation Reduction Act is the single most important piece of drug pricing legislation in U.S. history. What does the IRA mean for you? I'm Jeff Stewart from Cineos Health Consulting. I'm joined today by two leaders from Cineos Health's Value, Access, and HEOR team, Dennis Kim and M. Coriel. M and Dennis will help us prepare for the new realities of the Inflation Reduction Act. The Inflation Reduction Act, next on the Cineos Health Podcast. M. Coriel, Dennis Kim, welcome to the Cineos Health Podcast. Thanks for having us today. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Jeff. We're talking today about the Inflation Reduction Act. I don't think we're actually talking about inflation. What are we talking about when it comes to pharma with the Inflation Reduction Act? When we're talking about the IRA, we're talking about consequential pricing reductions to manufacturers. What's going to be happening is basically government subsidizing of the Medicare program is going to be reduced and it's going to fall on manufacturers and their customers, i.e. payers, to absorb that cost that CMS is reducing moving forward. And CMS is the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. What runs Medicare? Correct. I think that would surprise most people that the main core of what's happening with what we think of as price controls are really to take money off the table from Medicare. So talk about that. What is it that Medicare will no longer be paying for that it used to pay for? One of the items that they're not paying for are what's considered unjustified price increases. And their determination or definition of unjustified, what they're doing is pegging that term to the CPIU or otherwise known as the inflation rate. So anything that they feel is excessive, which is in excess of the CPIU for the benchmark period, meaning a quarterly base period of price increase. When you take a price increase during that period that exceeds that CPIU for that quarter, those price increases are considered, quote unquote, unjustified. And so CMS will not allow you to realize those prices. And the way that they're going to realize those savings is through a penalty, which is the inflation rebate. One of the bigger portions of this happens to be that they're borrowing from different programs to achieve that. One of those mechanics happens to be the inflation rebate calculation, which they do use in Medicaid. That is definitely one item that CMS is not going to be paying for in Medicare Part B or in Medicare Part D. When we talk about Pegging things to the consumer price index U, urban, that particular index, that doesn't strike me as being so very different from what's already happening in Medicaid. Medicaid already, as part of best price calculations, looks at inflation and already takes care of it. Is it just that we're talking about these kinds of calculations are now coming to Medicare And yeah, they can be a big deal because there have been a lot of price increases that manufacturers take or have taken. Is that it? Is that the big price control that we're talking about? Or is there something more to it? Have I understood it? I think that's absolutely right on the dot, Jeff, that what they're doing is taking that calculation, that inflation rebate from the Medicaid program and now requiring it in the Medicare program. So now it's comprehensively 
in both programs that manufacturers have to pay this inflation rebate. The mechanics are almost identical. They're quarterly CPI used. They use benchmark periods, meaning full first quarters, to determine the variance in terms of whether the price increase exceeded that CPIU. They are borrowing that element from Medicaid explicitly in Medicare, almost shamelessly, with an expected savings. I believe that the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, said they're expecting about 200, I believe, billion dollar savings for the first 10 years with the IRA. Is it all drugs, though? That's the other thing that I've understood about the Inflation Reduction Act, the IRA, is that it really hits some of our clients that are top 10, top 20 products. And that allows for this price negotiation, question mark, of how it works. But is this inflation thing for everyone or is it just for these guys? So I think if you kind of step back, there's three main pieces that are driving this change in the dynamic of what we know today in U.S. healthcare. Number one is the drug price negotiation. This is the first time we've ever seen this, right, in the U.S. to negotiate directly with drug manufacturers and looking at these high-spend drugs in the Medicare program. And that's because historically, the catastrophic phase, Medicare or CMS is responsible for 80% of the spend. That's not sustainable moving forward. The second piece that drives is what we were talking to before is the prescription drug inflation rebates, which is going to change the dynamic as well for both Medicare Part B drugs and D as well. And the last is the shift in the dynamic of the out-of-pocket spending caps for Medicare beneficiaries. We're looking at today, we have initial coverage gap, coverage gap, otherwise known as the donut hole and catastrophic phase. Now that initial coverage gap is going to be eliminated. And the shift of who's financially responsible is going to shift as well significantly. What are the ramifications? Well, that means Medicare's financial responsibility is going down, plans responsibility is going up, and manufacturers as well. And so those three dominoes are why we're talking today. So that last one, it's very clear, I think. There's just no place that patients get hurt immediately. In fact, patients get helped basically everywhere. They get a lower deductible. The donut hole was already more or less eliminated for them. But now the catastrophic coverage, the place where when you've gone past your deductible out-of-pocket max areas, and now you're supposed to pay 5% on a traditional plan, that's gone. If you're a patient, you cap out at $2,000, correct? That's right, Jeff. That's the biggest patient benefit. That's the biggest benefit in terms of being a beneficiary of Medicare through the IRA is that cap. Their out-of-pocket cap is going to be $2,000 moving forward. And that's a dollarized cap. It's not a percentage. It's set regardless how they're funding this. We can see it through obviously receiving the inflationary rebates, which will go back into the Medicare trust fund, which will fund Medicare for instances such as that for patient benefit, to support that patient benefit redesign. That is likely going to continue even post-IRA in terms of any type of a subsidy that can be relayed to the patient, whether it be collecting from manufacturers and payers, that will only continue. What's unique about the IRA happens to be that they're taking different programs and overlaying it into the Medicare program. What I'm just discussed about 
quote-unquote negotiable products and prices. That's absolutely in existence, but what they're using there happens to be they're borrowing again from the Department of VA FSS program. They use a price type called a non-federal average manufacturer price, and they're using that to set a maximum fair price. And the reason why we use the term negotiate, quote unquote, happens to be that it's not an arm's length negotiation in the true sense of when we think of a contracting strategy with a payer. That negotiation with CMS happens to be that they won't pay anything more than a maximum fair price. And the way that they calculate that happens to be off of the VA FSS price factor, which they're again, using in Medicare. So just as we're seeing with the inflation rebate, borrowing from the Medicaid mechanics in terms of subsidizing the program and making sure that manufacturers support Medicaid, they're using that to support Medicare as well, using that mechanic, but also in the negotiation. Like I said, there's three big impacts, the negotiation, negotiable drugs, the inflation rebates, and then of course, the benefit redesign that achieves patient savings. I'd like to talk about the negotiation in a second, but I just want to confirm one thing because we talked about those three arms. The second arm being these inflation rebates, that's all drugs. Yes? That's correct. Yes, absolutely. Part B and Part D. There isn't a ranking, meaning in the negotiable drugs part of the package of the IRA. CMS designates that, I believe, in 2028 and 2029, they have top drugs for Part B and Part D, I believe 15 and 20, respectively. Those are for negotiations, right? Correct. But for the thing we were talking about from the beginning... Inflation, if you're putting price increases in front of inflation, in fact, if you've already had price increases in front of inflation, you're going to be asked to pay a much lower rate. You have a penalty for that. I mean, you still have the time, but you should be able to calculate, back calculate and say, this is my exposure going forward. Correct. There is no litmus test in terms of the inflation rebate. You don't have to be a top spend drug in either Part B or Part D. Right. It's anything that costs more than $100 per year. Per year. Oh, so, <laughs> and I'm guessing that, check me if I'm wrong, but $100 per year implying perfect compliance. I pick it up every month on time and use it all. Is that the kind of perfect per year or is it just effectively $100 on average? No, I'm not sure. It says that it will apply to Part B and D single source drugs without competition with limited exceptions that cost more than $100 per year. I mean, that's basically everything. Yeah. There's almost nothing that doesn't get hit. Exactly. (laughs) Any branded drug is going to cost more than $100. Exactly. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. That's the point. They all hit. It's a big deal. Now negotiation. Do we have any idea what negotiation is going to look like? We do know which drugs have to be negotiated. Is it negotiation in the first place or is it just... This is what you're going to pay. It's unclear to me what negotiation actually means. That's why we're talking. There is a huge unknown of what the logistics of that look like. If you look at how outside of the U.S. negotiations, in quotes, it looks different in each of the countries. Some focus on different components. Some rate the drug product based on efficacy, clinical data, application to the population. We're not sure how they're going to approach this. And I think that's part of why it's important to understand the components of 
where you are in the market and what you have in order to bring to the table when that does happen. Yeah. And just to underscore your response there, um, there's nothing that states a specific criteria, but what they must consider without any attribution to weighting happens to be some of these factors such as R&D costs, production and distribution costs, any financial support that was given federally in the pursuit of drug discovery that led to the approval of the drug in question. Some of these are factors that CMS will consider in terms of negotiation factors and ultimate price. But again, how each factor is weighted and how a manufacturer can prepare for that, that is undisclosed currently. Well, interesting times we're headed into. I think the part that is promising for us and promising for the industry is that if the patients are paying only $2,000 a year, which still is a lot of money for a lot of people, let's be honest, it's hard to come up with that, especially at the beginning of the year when you're expected to pay the most. But that amount being lower than it was for years means that patients are going to be able to afford the drugs that we do offer as an industry. That makes it more affordable right where it counts when they're picking up a drug. And we can't do copay assistance for patients that are on government programs. That's illegal. Nobody does it because of that. So we can't lower the cost of the amount that they pay in copays and coinsurance. But the government's now done it for us. So we can expect more uptake of drugs that before were a bit challenging. They were challenging, either because the costs were so steep and patients had so much expense at that 5% level, that was just too much, or because the costs over the year were just too much. And those things are gone, at least largely gone, so that that $2,000 cap is at least one real positive that we have as an industry, even as costs are now shifted to the industry, away from patients, away from CMS, and now negotiations that mean we don't know what. I pretty much sum it up the <laughs> the good side uh, in, in the midst of what is not good news for the industry otherwise. Yeah, I would agree with that, Jeff. I mean, even to underscore what you're saying, yeah, patients are going to be insulated from cost of higher priced specialty products, certainly, but it's going to come at a cost, as we all know. And that's the gross to net erosion because manufacturers are going to have to subsidize this and they're going to subsidize it through the new benefit design. Previously, manufacturers did not have any type of initial coverage responsibility, nor the amount of catastrophic coverage subsidy that will be in place. Right now, it's 10% in the initial coverage phase, and it will be 20% in the catastrophic phase starting in 2025. So the access to the patient will increase, but it's going to come at a cost, as we're aware. And it's not only that. You have to think about the spillover effect from that, and that's going to be the plans. The plans are heavily subsidizing in both of the new phases starting in 2025. Their expectation, as we're hearing, is going to fall on manufacturers. So manufacturers might be exacted for a higher rebate in order to get access to Medicare Advantage formularies. So it's going to come at a cost, but yes, generally that is correct. Lots of food for thought. Final question, starting with M. What do you do if you're a manufacturer? Either they are exposed to negotiations soon, or they already have drugs on the market, and they have to figure out what the exposure is for those, or they have drugs coming up to the market, and they need to figure out how to do pricing 
right the first time because anytime you do it and revise your price later on, you're going to pay for it through this CPIU inflation adjustment. What's the recommendation now? What are you telling your clients now um, to help them prepare? Well, I think exactly that, right, is the preparation needs to start now to understand the implications to the organization and the opportunities really for partnership, because you're looking at a financial shift for both manufacturers and payers. And now is the time to really look at what's your exposure, where is their opportunity to really be a proactive partner in the marketplace, because that's really where it's going to matter. Payers are kind of waiting to see what the manufacturers are doing right now because there's a lot of unknown around what they're going to come to the table with. And I think that readying your strategy, understanding stakeholder communications, and really preparing manufacturers for all three of the pieces we talked about because no one is, quote unquote, in the clear to not see ramifications from this one way or the other. And we want it to be a positive for our clients in which we can partner moving forward. M. Coriel, Dennis Kim, you've given us a lot to think about. Thank you so much for joining us on the Cineo Health Podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's all for today's episode of the Cineo's Health Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Stewart from Cineo's Health Consulting. If you want to talk through a hard decision you're making at your life sciences company, you may email me at podcast at cineoshealth.com. For access to more future-focused, actionable life sciences insights, visit the Cineos Health Insights Hub at insightshub.health. Cineos Health, shortening the distance from lab to life.